you've heard me say for a long time that telling stories can close deals, but even more powerful is telling stories with data. If you can show that the story you're telling about some relevant customer success is backed by data, your prospect is going to absolutely love it. I had Nick Meech on the show. He's with Matic and he has put together a program and this, this company, what they're doing is they're making it so much easier to put data into your presentation so that your buyers will feel compelled to take action and buy from you. It's really, really slick, but he goes deep on why you want data together with storytelling, as well as he talks about some of the best things they did in their own company to be able to scale. So if you're looking to grow, if you're looking to sell more, if you're wanting to get more deals and figure out the best ways to scale, check this one out. Welcome to Sastery in the Making, the podcast that features the people who made the software world what it is today and the leaders who are shaping the future of technology. Here's your host, Matt Wallach. And welcome to Sastery in the Making. Very excited to have you here. I'm really looking forward to this episode. Please join me in welcoming Nick Meech to the show. Nick, how you doing? I'm doing well, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing great also. I'm really excited to talk with you and learn more about what you're doing and, and how you're making things happen. But let me tell everybody about you, Nick. So Nick's the CEO and co-founder of Matic. Am I saying that right? Or is it Matic? Matic, yep. Matic, that sounds way better. Thank you for that. So Matic, <laughs> M-A-T-I-K. Definitely check this thing out because what they're doing, they're enabling salespeople to automate the deck creation process, basically generating personalized presentations with dynamic content that's integrated with every data source. And, I mean, it's amazing. They're enabling business professionals to quickly create customized decks with data-driven insights. It's super, super slick stuff. So once again, Nick, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to the conversation today. Absolutely. But before we kick off, just tell me a little bit about what you're doing lately and what's coming up for you. Yeah, I feel like, you know, after the past three years of, you know, shutdowns and COVID protocols, um, past month has been a lot of traveling. So I'm actually in Utah uh, for the first part of this week at a conference, investor conference, and then going to um, New York on Wednesday for another conference. A lot of traveling, but um, excited to be kind of back in person, building those relationships and uh, you know, creating, creating some new memories. Oh, I'm right there with you. I'm glad that conferences are coming back. Traveling is coming back. It's totally. really cool to get back together. Kind of sick of uh, all this virtual stuff. But tell me more about Matic. It's really slick from what I've seen of it. What exactly does it do? Yeah, so we automate uh, the generation of data-driven content within PowerPoint or Google Slides. So today, the output of Matic, we're not trying to replace PowerPoint or Google Slides. It is a native presentation in one of those two systems. And we allow you to connect to a variety of data sources, whether it is a CRM, whether it's a BI tool like Tableau Looker, or even a database or a data warehouse like Snowflake, Google BigQuery where you can go ahead and create what we call dynamic content, add it to a template to streamline that process. And then you can go ahead and with a few clicks, uh, generate a totally native presentation within PowerPoint or Google. Uh, and our core use case is we work predominantly with customer success and sales teams, since they do a lot of repetitive data-driven presentations that they're sharing with prospects and customers, and we help them automate that process. That's fantastic. I agree with that. I've been on many sales teams where we're doing a lot of the same repetitive stuff over and over. And I wish you would have come around about 10 years ago or so. Uh, how, how did this all come about? How did you come up with this idea? Yeah. So 
Um, early on in my career, uh, actually, I worked at a startup called Blue Nose Analytics, was, which was in the customer success space. Uh, so I don't know if you're familiar with Gainsight or Tatangos of the world, um, but we were competitors with them. And really, at the time, customer success, I would say, was still kind of early on in, in its you know, stage. Uh, but a lot of people were doing these things called business reviews and renewal decks. And they were coming to us saying, hey, we have these templates. We go to your platform. We're taking screenshots of charts that are in your platform. We go to other BI tools. We're going to CRM to go and populate the presentations. And it's the same, right? The template's the same for customer A and customer B. We just have to go and pull the data for customer A versus customer B and update it, right? And it'd be awesome if there was like a one-click button that would just pull in everything for me and make it look pretty and spit it out. And so when I joined LinkedIn after Blue Nose, I joined uh, a team called Insights, and we basically built internal tools and narratives for our sales and customer success teams. Uh, it was a huge pain point. There was an internal tool that already existed that I had the chance to rebuild, and it was really successful, and it just kind of got me thinking, hey... I think this is this is kind of following me in my career. I've always wanted to uh, start a company. Uh, I'm originally a refugee, so I think the American dream is to, you know, start your own company and go down that path. But I never knew what I wanted to do, and I've always been passionate about data. I've always been passionate about storytelling, and thought, hey, this is a great idea. I think other companies outside of LinkedIn would also benefit from the, from this. And so I met my co-founder Zach through a mutual friend um, who's an early engineer at Fox. And yeah, we were like, let's do this. You know, we really think that there's a big pain. We talked to a lot of folks in our networks and it was just a reoccurring theme. Yeah, we're spending so much time putting together these presentations specifically on the customer success and sales side. And um, we know it's important. We know we need to share this data with our prospects and customers because it does lead to better business outcomes, right? We saw this at LinkedIn. Whenever you do a QBR, whenever you do an ROI deck, whenever you do a renewal deck where you're showing how the data translates to value, it always had better business outcomes, right? Better deal sizes, better renewal rates, less churn, better acquisition. And so that's really what we're trying to focus on. I think it's phenomenal. I love it. It sounds so, so cool. And I totally agree. I want to ask you, I want to make sure that everybody understands how can data and using data within a presentation or within a sales process in general, how can that help build trust with prospects? Yeah, I mean, I think just taking a step back, like why data to begin with? Um, I, I don't think this is new insight. I don't think I'm giving something that hasn't been said already, but data is key, right? I think it is how we all make decisions. Um, and I would say, especially in today's economic climate, where the need to be able to show value and the need to be able to show ROI is now... Like it's imperative, right? Um, and you do that in a quantitative way via data. So if you look at the entire customer lifecycle, starting with the pre-sale side, if I'm selling you a product or service, especially with tightening budgets, people are going to say, hey, how is your product or service going to help me accomplish objectives A, B, or C? Or how are they going to help me move the needle in these core KPIs that we're trying to move? And that's all data at the end of the day, right? You may not have a ton of data on your prospects up front, but even being able to say, hey, here are the things that you care about. These are the assumptions. Here's an ROI calculator that will show you how we're going to move the needle on, on this front is at least a starting point to be able to facilitate that conversation. And then when you, they do become a customer, hopefully you're then proving that through, hey, 
you've purchased the product. Here's how you guys are adopting. Here's the usage of our product and service on across your teams. And this is how it's translated to a value and ROI on that you initially purchased the product for. Phenomenal. And this is something that a lot of times when I talk to my clients and many of you out there know that I have software companies and, and startup software companies who are my clients, I'd help them grow and scale. And I'm constantly preaching to them, make sure you, you have data, make sure you back up everything with data, make sure you can build that trust and show people the potentials and what's, what's out there. But also, I also say a lot of things around emotion and people make decisions and buy with emotion. But people say, well, Matt, that sounds like those are contradictory. And I say, no, they actually work really well together because the whole adage is people buy with emotion to justify with logic. And so if you get them emotional, get them thinking about their problem, you can show them data that shows that they are going to get this or other people have gotten this or this is the potential or this is where they are and that's hurting them and they're in a bad situation because of it. It really reinforces some of the emotions you've whipped up and created for them so that they don't think that, oh, I was just emotional. They realize this is real, this is fact, and I need to, to fix this, right? Well, and I would also just kind of add to that as well. Sometimes the people that are using your product or service, and this isn't true for everybody, differs in the person who's actually signing the contract or the budget is coming from, right? So the person who's signing the contract is going to really rely on logic, to your point, right? Whereas the per person who's using it, maybe there's a little bit more of an emotional tie to the product because they see on a day-to-day -day how your product or service is impacting their daily work routine, right? So uh, being able to marry the two, to your point, I think is actually spot on. And even, you know, I think there's a, a bunch of third-party research that says, hey, even with everything that's been going on with the last three years of the pandemic, the buying committee is getting bigger and bigger. And even with the economic climate, now everything's going through the CFO, everything's going through accounting, everything's going through procurement. So the need to be able to show ROI and then also, to your point, show how it's been impacting on an emotional side, I think is, is spot on. I, I totally agree because you're right. Uh, people need to take that. I actually just had this conversation with some of my clients this morning. They were having struggles getting to the decision maker and getting that approval from a decision maker after they've already talked to the main contact who's really yeah. excited about it because they're the one experiencing the problems, exactly what you said. But now you've got to go to that CFO and really yeah. they're thinking numbers and dollars and cents. And if you can't justify it, it's not going to work, right? And so, and you want to be able to arm your champion or the stakeholder that is making the business case. You want to arm them with that data that they can then go to their boss or the CFO to be like, hey, here's why we want to make this investment. And here's how it's going to impact our initiatives for the upcoming quarter, upcoming year, whatever time frame you're looking for. I totally agree. We use that same exact terminology, arm your champion. It's kind of like uh, in Game of Thrones when you can have a trial by <laughs> combat. You've got your champion that you pick to be that that person and you got to make sure that they are well aware of of how to, totally. to help you and how to take care of you. And You've got to arm that champion and one of the best ways is using data. And I know you've also talked about data storytelling. Is that mm -hmm. similar? How does, how does data storytelling come into this and how does that help drive more sales? Yeah, I think you know, I think one of the things, uh, even at my time at LinkedIn and at Blue Nose, right, showing data for the sake of data is not a good thing. You want to be able to take data and transform it into insights that will then tell a good story, right? So if I'm 
a customer success manager and I've got a quarterly business review that I'm doing with a client or let's say even a renewal that's coming up, I don't want them to show pure usage, right? I want to be able to make sense of that usage and then show, hey, here's why you should care about these numbers and here's how this correlates to the value that you've received, which then ties back to the objectives that you were trying to accomplish in, in using our product to begin with, right? So I think storytelling is literally just being able to take that data and transforming it into insights that are relevant to your stakeholder that you're sharing it with. I love that. I think it's super important. And combining that with those those stories is absolutely lock solid in terms of what you can do in terms of closing deals and getting a great close rate. I think it's fantastic. Uh, I want to talk now about your company and what you've been able to do with Matic. And you guys have, have seen some good success early. So what has been you know, one thing that's been really helpful to help you create this company and be successful? Um, yeah, I, I, I would say still culture is like a big thing. I know that's kind of a cheesy answer, but I think given the stage that we're at, and this is obviously, it's different, right? So when I was at a startup prior in my early in my career, it looked totally different than what it is today with everybody, you know, some people being remote, some people being in person. But I do think it starts with having a good culture. Um, mm -hmm. And that is kind of the, the foundation and the building blocks to be able to then go there. I always say that it's not the technology that wins. I always say it's the people behind the technology, right, that, that wins. And so if you are able to get a great group of people with a diverse thought that are, that are bought into your culture, your core values, your mission, your, 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 your uh, mission, then I think that's what kind of leads to success. I agree. I think it's fantastic. How have you guys been able to do that at Matic? It's been hard. Uh, I will tell you right now, uh, early on, you know, when the pandemic first started, we were small, we were under 10 employees. A lot of us were in the Bay Area. So, you know, we would do burrito Fridays, right? It was, we could go to a park, we could get a, go support like a local taqueria, you know, socially distance, you're outside. Um, but then as the team gets bigger and bigger and you start introducing more remote people, it does become difficult, right? Because you know, what you're going to go and celebrate, you know, your first six figure deal or your, you know, massive product launch, everybody jumps on a zoom, but only one person can talk at a time. So what are you going to do? Do breakout rooms? It's kind of awkward. So we've really tried, uh, we've really done a, uh, a huge effort on trying to do in-person offsites uh, on a quarterly basis, or we do bring people in. Yes, it's expensive, but at the same time, we do feel like it does build a lot of those relationships, right? That you can't really foster, in my opinion, over a Zoom call. Um, and uh, like I said, I'm not saying that we're never going to go back to the eight to five normal in the office. I, I think that has changed. But mm -hmm. I do think there is something that having that face-to-face -face interaction um, and it helps with ideation, right? I just think that when I can read your mannerisms in person and we can whiteboard. It is a little bit different than doing it virtually over a Zoom call or, or Google Hangout. I agree. I agree. That's cool. I love that idea of bringing people in. You're right. It's, it, it's, it is very expensive, but it just, you, you get so much when you have people together. And I have totally. a, a group of clients, they're in, they're in Poland, but they have oh, their wow. sales team is in the US and okay. they know that they want to make sure they keep that that group because all the engineers, all the customer service people, all the executives are in Poland, but sales team US. So they, they fly them out once a year to make sure that they keep that. And I think it's really important. So I'm glad you guys are doing that as well. 
Yeah, and I think that's also, you know, when you have people in different places going back to culture, I think culture is part of your core values. I think that's one of the first things that Zach and I did early on was before we wrote any code, before we did anything, we talked a little bit about like, what's important to you? What's important to me? How do we want to run this company and put together those, you know, four core values and hopefully people buy into that, right? And that is kind of the framework for conflict resolution. That is the framework that, you know, guides our decision making, right? To make sure that we are, we're all on the same page when it comes to, comes to that. And I think that builds a good culture. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's great. Uh, now, this product and this idea is fairly different and new and, and there's not a lot of other things out there. And so most people probably didn't think of this as a problem. They just didn't even know that there was a solution to this problem. So when you're out there, and, and this is something that I've dealt with, is when you come up with a product that's totally new and totally different, totally unique, you think, oh, well, we're the only one that does this. It's great. <laughs> but the problem is that the market doesn't know that they need it. Yes. And so how did you guys experience that? And how did you overcome that to get people to realize, oh, wow, I guess I do have a problem here and I do need something like this? Yeah, I do think it's, it's in our case too, you have the people that are experiencing the problems. In this case, the customer success managers, right? The AEs, when you talk to them, like if you talk to a customer success manager and you ask them, how long did it take you to put together a business review? Average answer is like one to three hours, right? And if you've got, let's say you got 50 accounts that you're managing, that's a huge amount of time. That's just for one touch point, a QBR. Imagine if you want to be proactive and you want to send out like a one pager that shows usage or ROI or whatever, you know, whatever along the line, it's just a lot of time that you're spending per year. So they get it. But on the flip side, they don't have access to the data. They may have access to a dashboard, but they have no control over that dashboard. It's, you know, someone on analytics or customer success operations. And that's where a lot of the education kind of has to happen is to be able to show them like, hey, your team is experiencing that pain point. We have to bring them in. And they're usually ones that are kind of championing that. But you're right. It was a lot and still is something that we're educating the market on, on why it's so important to be able to automate the, this data-driven content. And our goal in the long run is not just to do presentations. I think our long-term vision here is how do you automate any type of a narrative, right? Data-driven narrative. So that could be a document, in this case, a PowerPoint or a Google slide deck or a Word or PDF document, but it could be an email. It could be a notification. It could be a text message. Those are all different containers for a narrative where you're using data and insights, but you're packaging it up slightly differently, right? So true. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. As you guys have been growing, what were some of the mistakes that you guys made along the way? You look back, you're like, oh man, how did, how did we do that? Why do we do that? That you wish you would have avoided? Yeah, I would say early on, um, I don't have a sales background. So my background is product analytics. My co-founder is uh, engineering. I think uh, hiring in twos, especially on the go-to market side on sales is like important, right? Uh, and that was a learning, right? Where instead of hiring one person, you should hire, like, hire two AEs at once because then they can not compete, but they can learn from one another. They have some sort of benchmark to see how they're, well they're doing. Uh, so that was probably like a big learning for me, uh, just being new to selling. Like I said, most of my career has been supporting customer success and sales, not being on the front lines. Um, that was that was probably mm -hmm. one of the big learnings early on. 
Yeah, that's that's a big one. Um, for everybody out there, what he's talking about is when you hire into a new role, like an SDR, an AE, somebody within the sales team, especially. If if you hire one person, and I've seen this happen a lot, so I just I, I love I want to add some color to what you what you put out there. If you hire one person and they go out and do this or that, you don't know if that's good or if that's not so good or if that's average. You don't know if their results are indicative of what anyone would do. Maybe that person's yeah. not great and they didn't work hard and they didn't take the information you gave them in training and apply it. Or maybe they're amazing and it's just that you've got the wrong messaging and you didn't have the right information that you trained them with. But like Nick said, when you hire in twos and you have two people, you train them the same way with the same information, the same system, same product. If they're different, you can see one's ahead, one's behind. It must be the people or they're both very low. Something's wrong with the systems. And yep. so that was, a, that was a lesson that I learned myself along the way is hire two, figure out which one's the best. But I'm, I'm glad that you guys were able to see that because it's really, really critical to do it right. And it's counterintuitive, right? Because you're like, oh my gosh, I'm hiring two people what I don't know. But when it comes to sales, especially the way that the, the pay is structured, it does make sense, right? To your point, right? There's a com commission component. And so being able to benchmark and see, is it a process issue? Is it a product issue? Or is it a people issue, right? And I think having a sample size of two is really a great way to start instead of a single person. I love it. So there's one thing to change. What went well? What was one thing that... You're like, oh man, I'm so glad we did this. And and just, I'm taking this so that others out there who are getting started, totally. they can use it as advice. What would you say? Yeah. So I've actually had a lot of, I would say over the past month or two, probably had the most conversations with folks that are in my network that are looking to start a company. And I think maybe that's just because of the climate and people are like, you know what, now's the time to take a risk. And a lot of them are kind of at the stage where they have the idea, they vetted it, um, and they either are from like an engineering background, product background, right? Or they were the business stakeholder that experienced the pain. And I think one of the things that Zach and I did really, really early on is we hired a designer really early, like a contractor, not a full-time person, but someone. And I think it does a great way where, you know, with all the tools today, like Figma, where you can build these basically prototypes without any code. Yeah, it's design, right? But you can, it was just such a great way for us to be able to test uh, you know, our early, you know, concept of the platform with people, because you would go and have a conversation with someone about the pain, they would tell you something, you then show wireframes, they think about something totally different. And then when you actually showed them something that was pixel perfect, they experienced or maybe provide a totally different insight. And so actually hiring a designer early on worked really, really well for us, because it helped us ideate and iterate on our concept without building too much code where things weren't vetted. So I would say that's probably a, a big win for us that we found early on was just getting that design resource early on was crucial. I love it. It's, it's fun. I asked this question. It's funny how many times people say a particular role or a person is something that accelerated them. I mean, it really happens that way. If you get somebody in a good spot that actually does the right thing and kind of alleviates pressure off of other people so they can focus on other things, it can really help you, help you grow and scale. So I, I love that answer. This has been a lot of fun, Nick. I really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing all of your wisdom and experience. How can people learn more about you and Matic? Yeah, definitely check us out. Website is matic, M-A-T-I-K dot I-O. Um, take a look at some of the case studies that we've had and some of the value props that we're really trying to hone in on, as well as we're on all the social media outlets. So 
check us out on LinkedIn, Twitter. Um, feel free to, to send me a request to reach out uh, via LinkedIn. I'm pretty active. Uh, but yeah, uh, definitely would love to have a conversation. Perfect. And we'll put all that into the show notes so that everybody can cool. see that. But Nick, thanks so much for coming on the show. Awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. And everybody out there, thanks for coming. Thanks for listening and watching. Really appreciate that. Make sure you are subscribed to the show. Hit that subscribe button right now. That way you won't miss out on any amazing creators, innovators, and leaders like Nick coming up in the future. We've got some really good ones lined up for you. So I want you to get that. But I hope that this helped you. Hope you're able to take this information and grow and scale. And we'll see you next time. Take care.